All right, here we are with another episode of the High Ground, powered by Premier Companies. Good afternoon, Sal. Good afternoon, Ryan. Doing all right? Doing wonderful. Okay, we have a guest with us joining virtually today. We have Dr. Alan Gray. Um, Dr. Gray, we certainly appreciate your time and uh, and your opportunity to take this, or your chance to take this opportunity to join us. And um, we're going to start you off with a question of the day. I think I sent in your email that it doesn't matter how esteemed you are, you can't avoid uh, this necessary evil of our podcast. So we started off lighthearted. We'll get serious here in a minute. But uh, your question of the day today, sir, is if your life were a reality show, what would your theme song be? <laughs> well, first of all, thanks for th- thanks for uh, having me on here. I-, I can't believe I finally got to be on the high ground. I've, I've known about this for a long time, and I thought, man, I have no idea what it takes to get on there. <clears throat> and and uh, finally, uh, finally, I've risen to the point where I can finally be on the high ground, and I'm hey, feeling quite. We're as surprised as uh, you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that you are, right? So <clears throat> I can imagine that you are. Uh, a lot of people surprised that I get to do much of anything that I get to do. So. All right, let's uh, so you so I'll tell you, let me tell you a story about this uh, question of the day thing you asked me about. I, I started last night, <clears throat> I read that, and I looked at my wife and I said, I have no idea how I was supposed to answer this question. Well, uh, am I supposed to know a bunch of reality shows and pick one of those theme songs off of that? Because I don't watch reality shows, so I have no idea. And and she goes, no, no, no. If he's asking if you had a reality show, you know what they are. You've seen some of them, and I have seen them because she watches plenty of them, and I see them in the background there. And <laughs> she said, just what song would you pick? So <clears throat> I, I thought about that a little bit, and and uh, uh, I, I I'm pretty certain of this. It would have to be a country boy can survive from oh. Hank Williams Jr. And there, there are so many reasons why. One, I'm a huge <laughs> Hank Jr. fan, for sure. But you know what? I, I am a country boy. I grew up in a little bitty small town, North Texas, uh, called Howe, Texas, 2,000 people on a poor dirt farm. Uh, we were old McDonald farm, grew different kinds of crops, and uh, had cattle and had hogs while I was still there as the free labor. And then we got rid of the hogs because free labor went away, right? That's the kind of that's the kind of place I grew up. I'm a, I'm just a country boy. I grew up in a creek with my dogs and my my show cattle, my show hogs, and and somehow or another, Ryan and Sal, I don't know uh, how how this reality show worked out that uh, I end up being at Purdue University as a faculty member, and I'm doing everything I can every day to keep it a secret that some country boy from some nowhere place in Texas ended up at uh, one of the top five uh, universities in the world and have had a chance to travel around the world. It has truly been sort of a reality show for me. So, so that's it. Uh, uh, Hank Williams Jr. And, and my daddy, my grandpa, they all taught me, uh, they taught me how to fish and they taught me how to, uh, uh, run a trot line. They taught me how to skin a deer. I know all those things about how, how to be a country uh, kid and, and loved it and still love being that. And and um, as long as Purdue will keep letting me work here, but keep letting me be a country boy, I'll be fine. Very cool. Very <laughs> that's cool. Good one. Yeah, that's real good. Very cool. Sal, what do you got? Well, I was going to say, you can't see, uh, you haven't seen the, uh, we're using my computer here in the podcast room and, and Dr. Gray's background is Purdue University and, uh, just looks really good there, and he said, uh, "Keep it a secret." I'd not, but it was meaning his background. I was like, "You can't keep Purdue a secret because it is right here. We For can sure. see it. It looks good." <laughs> um, I think my theme song would probably be, and I didn't know how to answer this either, Doctor Gray. I saw that. 
I guess it would be all my rowdy friends have settled down. Is that a song? <laughs> I just the cornbread and iced tea, right? Is that, uh, but um, getting in that stage of life in the mid fifties and and uh, things I used to do probably when I was younger, there's no way I could I couldn't do it anymore. I can't stay up late. I, yeah. It's not the fun yeah. I miss. It's not the fun I have. It's a sleep I miss. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We you know, Toby, Keith, Toby, 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 Toby Keith sings that song, right? I'm not as good. As, I'm not as there, good as I once a, was. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> good, I'm as good once as I ever was, though. Yeah. Right. That's that's a, that's. Uh, you want to keep reminding him of that. I might not be able to go very long, but I can go hard if I have to. <laughs> Uh, I was with a, I was at a concert, one of these standing room only concerts with a general admission and with a guy that was much younger than I was and a fight sort of broke out in front of us. And he said, you think we'll jump into that? I said, man, I hurt getting out of bed in the morning. I don't, I don't need any part of that nonsense. So, <laughs> so, That's right. So anyway, I, uh, I went kind of same route you guys did, only I went uh, Simple Man by Charlie Daniels. I just, uh, I like it's, it. it's a little bit, uh. Uh, like the older I get, the, the the happier I am. Sort of sitting on my deck at home. So uh, yeah. yeah, and uh, my lifestyle and my job has afforded me to do uh, go a lot of places and be involved with a lot of people. But uh, but being home is pretty good a lot of times. Yeah. So so it is. Sure. So you've given us a, yeah, you've given us a little bit of your uh, your personal background. But uh, introduce yourself, Doctor Gray. And uh, again, we're very thankful that you took the time to be with us. Well, Ryan, you're always so professional and and uh, treat me with such respect and uh, calling me Dr. Gray and and uh, but the reality is I'm just Alan. I I, uh, I don't. I've always been answered uh, by Alan. I tell you, if my mama's not going to call me Dr. Gray, nobody else has to either. She <laughs> and she sure's she sure's that can't going to call me Dr. Gray. So I, I um. Yeah, so I grew up in Texas, uh, north of Dallas, about 60 miles, a little town called Howe, Texas, on a farm. Uh, my grandfather had that farm. Uh, all during the time I was growing up, I, I uh, spent a, 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 my youth out there on that farm um, trying to find, desperately find reasons why I should be the one driving the tractor. <laughs> Uh, so much so that uh, when we go out and uh, the hired, you know, we had hired hands to run the tractors a lot of times. So much so that as I got older, I'd literally, they go out with the 4640 John Deere tractor and they have a, uh, I don't know, probably 24 foot uh, tandem disc that they plowed with. I'd always, I'd always uh, go jump on the 4040 and hook up to the 12 foot uh, <laughs> disc and pull it out in the field and just start plowing without asking anybody. And then I get in trouble all the time because that plow, that plow, even though um, uh, it was only 12 foot, was still too big for that 4040. I'd just lug it down like crazy. But I didn't care because I wanted to be out there uh, farming. So that's what I thought I'd do when I grew up was I'd be a farmer. I, I um, uh, but it was pretty clear that I was better at um, uh, thinking uh, and talking. Uh, than I was working. Uh, in fact, when I went away to college at uh, Tarleton State University, Stephenville, Texas, I'd come home in, the, in, in May, uh, come home, and it'd be just about time for wheat harvest. We'd start wheat harvest and then uh, have to work ground uh, during the summer. But after my second, uh, after my sophomore year summer, my dad uh, pulled me aside on my way back to college and said, Alan, next summer before you come home, will you give me a call? And I said, well, of course, I'll give you a call. Why? He said, because I want to suggest that you might stay there because I think we'd make a lot more money if you weren't here tearing up stuff oh all summer gosh. long. So it tells you a little bit about how good I was really at farming during during all that time. So 
So I was at, so I was I took that to heart and I was at school at Tarleton State University. I got very lucky. I went to work for a, a professor in Ag Econ. I was getting an accounting degree and Ag Econ degree at the same time. And and I went to work for a Texas A&M professor who happened to work there in a in a uh, an extension service uh, satellite office there in Stephenville, Texas, because Tarleton State University is part of the Texas A&M, but it's in Stephenville, Texas. It's a smaller school, a little bit like say, um, you know, Purdue Fort Wayne or something like that. And and um, so so I uh, I went to work for him, and I and uh, we're doing work with farmers, uh, teaching them how to use Quicken. Because uh, oh. Quicken was just coming out, we're going to teach them how to use. So we had all these yep. short courses we we're doing, teach them how to use Quicken, uh, and then I kind of graduated from that to helping farmers make decisions about uh, crop insurance decisions. And we had these computer models we used to help com- uh, make these decisions around these computer model uh, around these uh, crop insurance decisions. And and this computer model came from a set of researchers at Texas A&M. And I, and through this process, I'm using this software and working with these guys at Texas A&M. I got to know them. Uh, pretty well, and and uh, they offered me a job uh, as a graduate student working at Texas A&M in what was called the Agriculture and Food Policy Center, which actually I, I went to work for, and uh, that was a great experience. Spent six years at Texas A&M doing policy analysis using these models, but working for the United States Congress, uh, and uh, Congress would come up with a new farm bill idea or new policy idea. We'd take that into our models, model. Uh, what that would mean, and then we had a set of representative farms, 110 of them all across the United States. And my job was to go around the United States, these farms, and interview these farm. Uh, it was a, it would be a group of farmers. Interview them about what would the economics of this farm look like? What's the machinery complement? What's its crop mix? What's it? All these sorts of things uh, that that we to get all the information we needed. Say, so what's this farm? What should this farm look like? So we'd use this computer model, and then we'd then we'd be able to tell Congress, hey, if you're going to implement a policy that looks like this, this is the implication it has for a wheat farm in the state of Washington. This is what it looks like for for uh, a dairy farm in the northwest part of uh, Texas. This is what it looks like for uh, uh, um, uh, an orange grove in in uh, Central Florida, right? So so we'd be able to tell them, and and you could even tell a congressman, hey, in your district we have a representative mm-hmm. farm right here. This is what it does. We change those policies. So I had so much fun doing that. You can't imagine how much I learned about uh, agriculture, about the industry as a whole, about farmers in different parts of the region. So so I got to do that. And at the end of that process, I said, I want to do a model like this model, like this policy model that we have, but I want to do it for agricultural cooperatives. And I want to build this simulation model to simulate the financial activities of a farmer-owned cooperative. And then we can talk about policies and what the implications are for those farmer-owned cooperatives. And there we're talking about policy that board of directors make or that senior uh, leadership teams make uh, around or, or uh, around those policies for that for that cooperative and what the implications are for the financial benefits of the cooperative. And that's what I do for my dissertation. Made me an agribusiness professor and led me to Purdue University. Whereas I told you already, I, I uh, tried my best to hide my Texas accent and convinced them that I knew more than I did. <laughs> and in a perhaps weak moment for them, they hired me. And, uh, and here I am. I'm at Purdue now. That's an I've awesome. been here twenty five. I've been here twenty five years. That's an awesome story, uh, Doctor Gray. Of course, they say if you want if you want something done, give it to a busy person. But you're also uh, chair uh, representing and and on Land Lakes. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, 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 it's a bit confusing, Sal. So I'm the Land Lakes Chair of Food and Agribusiness. What does that mean? Not nearly as much as you'd like to think it means. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what 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 happened was this this is a bit of a story but uh, oh I don't know a decade or so ago 
Uh, I was running the. I, I, uh, I got lucky enough at Purdue as I moved up through the ranks here. I, I got the opportunity to run the Center for Food and Agricultural Business. Uh, it's a it's a it's a center that uh, uh, one it's a business because it, it's got to got to make its own way. It doesn't take any money from Purdue. Instead, instead we got to get money from from industry to to run it. We do executive education. Uh, and so we help uh, uh, managers and employees in the food and ag business system improve their skills, sales, marketing, finance, strategy, human resource, talent management, all the different pieces. We, we do all those sorts of things for the group, right? Well, uh, a little over a decade ago, I think, uh, I, I struck up a relationship with uh, Land Lakes to do a leadership program for them and really got uh, to know Chris Polizinski, the CEO of Land Lakes at the time. I really got to know him really well. Uh, we, we just hit it off well. We like to banter, do a lot of debating back and forth. He's a storyteller just like I am. I uh, went to some Minnesota Twins games so that I could watch the Texas Rangers kick his team's butt, uh, uh, things like that we uh, we did together. Well, it turned out at Texas, that uh, Purdue had this um, uh, offer out to say if some if a company wants to sponsor a chair position in one of the departments in agriculture, in, in agriculture uh, that Purdue would match it. Well, uh, so they, they, unbeknownst to me, went to Land Lakes, knowing we had this relationship with them and said, hey, Chris and, and board of directors, would you be interested in funding this chair at Purdue? Uh, and if you do, then we'll match the money that you put into it. So, and, and they did. So, so they put together the Land Lakes chair in food and agribusiness. Uh, it's a chair that, that, that provides some funding to support a program that's designed to help Food and agribusiness companies continue to advance uh, in this world, in this challenge we have of feeding a growing global population. And and uh, I was named the first chair, first person to be the chair in that position. And and uh, so far I've hung on to it for dear life. Won't let anybody have it. Uh, I'm gonna try to keep it as long as I can. So. So, so uh, a lot of people say, oh, that means you're on the board of directors at Land Lakes. I'm not on the board of directors at Land Lakes at all. I, I'm just uh, just happen to have this title here at Purdue. Uh, it provides me a little bit of financial money to hire some grad students, do some things to continue moving forward uh, in this industry. Very good. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. All right. Well, yeah. let's uh, let's dig into this uh, Dial Ventures. Let's talk about Dial Ventures. This is a really exciting concept that you've been heading up, and uh, I've been very fortunate a time or two to uh, be able to sit in the same room and uh, maybe not provide as much counsel as some do, but uh, certainly learned as much as I've uh, as I've contributed, or a lot more than I've contributed. But uh, tell us about Dial Ventures, how it got started, what you're what you're doing there, your core uh, coordination with High Alpha Innovation, and uh, just. Tear it apart for us and let yeah. us know what's going on there. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to do that, Ryan. First, you're a little humble. Uh, I, I believe you've taken more phone calls from people you hardly know at all uh, since you've been a part of Dial Ventures than you've ever done in your entire lifetime. Because uh, one thing about our fellows, they don't mind calling you. They don't mind calling you. I was going around the back door to <laughs> Dr. Graham, like, is this real? <laughs> I don't click on anything anymore. Our cyber team's got us scared to death to yeah. click on anything. Click. So I'm like, is this a guy that I should be talking to? <laughs> <laughs> Oh goodness! Yeah, yeah. So let me tell you, Dow Ventures. So again, another story. I'll try to make it quick for you, as quick as I can. So, uh, you know, uh, I came I came out of um, a sabbatical I took uh, uh, back in 2018, 19. I spent nine months living in Brazil, uh, and really thinking about uh, the the things I want to do uh, moving forward in my career uh, coming out coming out of that sabbatical. What do I want to do at Purdue? 
I spent some time while I was in Brazil there working with a company called Marcastrat. It's a it's a consulting company working in the food and ag business space, but they work with all the high end folks in Brazil. And you know, what a lot of people will be shocked about about Brazil is that they're leading technology. They're not behind. Uh, they have more farms that are poor and and non and 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 poor technology on that on that low end than we do for sure. But they also have way more uh, advanced significant large farms with great technology driving what they do in food and, and in the agribusiness arena than we do in the US. They're kind of both extremes. And so I got to see that front end of where we're going with technology and what the possibilities can be and where we need to be going. And 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 um, so in that process, my dean of the College of Agriculture at Time, Karen Plout, uh, sent me an email and said, Alan, I gotta make a presentation. They want me to make a presentation on the future of the digital agriculture. Do you have any material on this? And I said, well, yeah, I happen to. I've been putting stuff together. So I put together some material for her. She went and made this presentation. Uh, and she said, man, Alan, that went way better than I ever thought it was would. And the group with audience love the concepts and they're really challenging us to say, How, what's Purdue's role in this? Where are, we, where are you going to be in this path to uh, uh, an advanced, more digital agriculture? Let's write a white paper about this. So we did. We put together this white paper thinking about this stuff. And 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 uh, I got back from my sabbatical. Uh, I hadn't heard much from her about it. And and um uh, then, then you know, we get to uh, March of 2020, and we all know what happened then. The, the world practically ended, uh, and and um, so we're scrambling through through COVID. And uh, come March of 21, my uh, my dean sends me an email and says, "Hey, Alan, you remember that white paper we wrote?" And I was like, "Well, kind of. <laughs> it was a while ago, but yeah, I kind of remember that." She goes, well, I'd sent that up to Executive Vice President for Research Office. They put it in front of the board, and the board of trustees has decided they want to fund it as part of Next Moves 2.0 at Purdue. And so Purdue put some money into this idea that we had around what we called at the time Digital Innovation and Agri-Food Systems Lab. She said, they've decided they want to fund this, and I was thinking, do you want to run it? I said, well, I uh, I don't know what exactly does that mean. I don't have any idea, but but uh, uh, you know, I'm sure you could come up with some ideas of what we would do with it. And I said, well, well how about if I read the white paper first and remember what we wrote, <laughs> so I have some idea what it was that we promised the board of trustees. So I read the white paper, and said, yeah, I think we got some things we could do around this. So, so uh, I said, yes, I, I'll I'll try to uh, let me see what I can put together for us. So I started in April 2021, <clears throat> trying to put together the concepts. First thing I did was go to my good friends in the industry that I know, uh, uh, and and one of those groups is at EY, uh, the consulting company, and I know Rob Dongoski really well there, who built the food and agribusiness practice for EY, and I asked him to come up to Purdue, and I said, let's brainstorm around what this would be. So we started thinking about this idea of a network of the agribusiness community coming together and really coming coming together and working together on where do we need to go to digitize this industry and and, and we both recognized the problem the problem was that uh, there there had been a study done in 1819 that said that uh, the food and ag business industry was ranked 22nd out of 22 industries with respect to its digital footprint 22nd out of 22 now since 1819 we've come a long way digitally in food and agriculture no doubt about it but so has the rest of the world so i don't know if we're off of the bottom as 22 out of 22 or not maybe we're higher than 22 now but we still got a long way to go to really be uh, a truly digitized industry and so this was really the problem that we wanted to try to figure out how can we solve this and so uh, th then uh, after I visited with EY, I, I got a chance to meet uh, Mitch Frazier at Agronovus. 
And so uh, I sat down with Mitch Frazier and I told him what we're working on here. He got super excited about what we're working on. And I said, you know, what we want to do with this is we want it to be like um, uh, uh, Stanford has this model they call the Stanford School for Biodesign. And what they do there is they bring in a set of fellows. They have them interacting with people in their hospital because Stanford has a hospital on campus there. They're doctors, they're nurses, all these. And they come up with ideas for how do we do a better job. And in that case, digitizing it was a lot of what they did in hospitals because the medical industry is going through the same digitization process. And I said, we want this sort of fellows program idea. We want this idea of interacting with people in the real world. And we want to try to create startup companies i think would be kind of a cool thing to do this is kind of what we're thinking we might want to do and and so mitch said alan that's that's a great idea i'm 100 percent behind you on this you uh need to meet elliot parker at high alpha innovation i said great happy to meet elliot parker who is he and what does high alpha innovation do well they do something similar to you they they, they do this they, they do this idea of creating startup companies and they work with industry to do this and they work with universities i think you'd really enjoy visiting me so Sure enough, two weeks later, Elliot Parker comes up to Purdue. I tell him what we're doing. I kind of lay out for him. This is what this Digital Innovation Act Food Systems Lab thing looks like, what we're trying to do. And he says, Alan, this is a really great idea. And he says, what you need is a startup studio, and I want to work with you, and let's develop a startup studio to create these startups. And I was like, fantastic. Let's do it. I think it's a great idea to create a startup studio. What the hell is a startup studio? <laughs> <laughs> and and then he began to explain to me what a startup studio was, and that's what we have now. What we have is Digital Innovation Agri Food Systems Lab went away, and and we created what we called Dial Ventures. So you know we're famous at Purdue for this. You got to take a long name, Digital Innovation Agri Food Systems Lab. You got to shorten it to an acronym that doesn't doesn't mean anything, right? <laughs> Dial Ventures. That's what we call it, Dial Ventures, <clears throat> and, and, and that's what we are today is Dial Ventures, and that's what we are. We're a startup studio. We what we do at the end of the day is we build startup companies to help digitize the ag and food industry, right? We do that with our partner at High Health Innovation. They help us with this process. We do it through fellows. We bring in six fellows every six months. These fellows are entrepreneurs. They come from uh, all over the country. They come from all different kinds of backgrounds, not food and agriculture. In fact, mostly we like for them to not come from food and agriculture because they bring a different perspective. That one thing that they do, Sal, they ask really smart, dumb questions. Ask Ryan. He's talked to them before. What do I mean by really smart, dumb questions? They're questions that you and I wouldn't ask because we think, well, that's a dumb question. We should already know that because we're in this industry. Okay, but they ask that question because they don't know any better. And then we look at them and like, well, I would have never been brave enough to ask that question. But now that I think about it, I don't even know what the answer is. That's a really good question. That's a really good question. Why do you do it this way? Why do you do it this way? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Why do you do that? And mostly our answer is because that's the way we've always done it. And then they look at you like, well, that seems dumb. <laughs> now that you mention it, it does kind of seem a little dumb. <laughs> right. Yeah. So 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 we take these fellows every six months. They go through an 18 week process with us and they're working directly with the industry. My favorite part of the whole program. We've got the Ryans of the world, uh, premier companies of the world. We've got uh, the Agcos of the world. We've got um, Tercindolo uh, Curley is a, a, a partner with us. We've got all kinds of partners in, in the agribusiness industry all come together saying, okay, listen, these are the problems we should be working on. What What is the job that we're trying to get done? What does that look like? How might a digital solution help with that? Uh, 
and, and we go through this 18-week process, and at the end of 18 weeks, these fellows, these six fellows, present three concepts, three ideas that they think might have a real chance to be a startup company. And these ideas have been vetted with the industry for all this 18-week period. They've helped us identify the problem. They've helped us identify if this is what the solution would work, how it might work. This is a business model. We might pay for something. If it had a solution to look like that, we'd be interested in being a part of that. That all of this stuff comes together to give us what we call uh, the potential to have an advantaged startup. If if we think that startup makes sense, uh, uh, then we fund it. We have a we have a, a fund. That's why we're called the the Dow Ventures because we have a venture fund sets on the side. Premier Companies is one of the partners in that fund, and we take that money. Uh, we take money from there and we invest in this idea. We took make a pre-seed investment in it. Our fellows then become founders of that company. Usually, not always, but usually become founders of the company, and then we start surrounding them with support. Uh, introducing them to more customers, helping them with finance, accounting. They don't have to worry about that stuff. What they got to do is build out the product and build the customer base, right? And, and 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 so we build these advantage startup companies. And our goal is over the next four years, we're going to graduate 40 uh, fellows from our program, 40 fellows, and we're going to create 12 startup companies working in various parts of the ag and food industry uh, to help digitize it. And, and, and we started that process in February of 22. So, Sal, I started in April of 21 trying to figure out what this was. And one of the things that we wanted to do was do. What we didn't want to do was be a university who sits and thinks and contemplates and pontificates around their navel for far too long. Huh. At Purdue, at Purdue, we at, at Purdue we make things, we do things, we build things, right? And and so what I said from the start was in April I'm going to start figuring this out, but we're going to do something. And and you know we may leave a mark in the process, we may crash and burn in the process, but we got to do something. And by February of 2022, less than seven months later, we're running our program for the first time. We ran a pilot and created our first startup company coming out of it in June of 22. We now have three. We now have three companies up fully and running, and we got three more of them that are in the process of being developed. So, so we're we're doing, we're going, and we're having a great time of it. That is awesome! What a great story uh, to have a a dozen companies just in that span of time. So, what are you what are you hitting on uh, right now with uh, with the three you've got up and going? What are they focusing on? Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, actually, um, it's uh, I've thought about this a little bit, Ryan. What's uh, what's really kind of interesting about what we're doing, uh, it, it turns out an economist must have some sort of influence over him, I guess, because one of them is working on labor, one of them is working on land, and one of them is working on capital. Land, labor, and capital, those are the three inputs that you worry about as an economist, even in the theory side of it. I don't think that's what we intended up front, but that's sort of what we ended up working on, right? So so our, fir- uh, our first uh, company that we created, that was in, we started it then in June of 22. That's a company called Croft. Croft is all about labor, right? And, and what they're working on at the moment is the H-2A labor process. So H-2A labor, this migrant labor that we have to bring in, particularly in fruits and vegetables, the highly seasonal crops that take a lot lot of uh, physical labor for harvest, but increasingly now coming to the Midwest, this uh, we're, we're needing these migrant laborers, whether they come from South Africa or Mexico or Central America, wherever they may come from, we're needing more and more here because we're just short of people. It's all across our industry. It's pervasive. In fact, one of the challenges we have when we get together with the industry to talk about problems and challenges we might want to solve is that I can't get them to talk about anything but labor. And I'm like, guys, okay, can we talk about something else besides labor? We kind of have a solution in labor. Maybe we should work on something else. 
But uh, because it's a big ubiquitous ubiquitous problem, and and what they found out was that this H-2A labor process is really complicated, a highly complicated uh, um, government program. But but really, in the end, it's sort of like taxes. So uh, it's like so. The thinking was originally, if you could just create a TurboTax like software for H-2A labor, could you make it as easy as doing taxes in a TurboTax uh, or, or, or something like that? And that's uh, way more complicated than that. Man, would they be upset to hear me explain it this way? <laughs> but 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 essentially, that's what they're doing, right? They're building a software platform that allows farmers and farm labor companies and those that are trying to get H-2A laborers to get that paperwork process all digitized, to get the communication process digitized, and to get the connections uh, between uh, state government agencies, federal government agencies, the lawyers who have to be involved in this process, the employees themselves and the employers all on the same platform so that they're all communicating with each other and all of the necessary paperwork becomes digitized. And uh, it's really amazing. Just just a quick story about Croft. They have one of their big customers uh, down in Georgia, uh, about 1,200 H-2A workers. Uh, they, they're on the platform for the first time uh, and they're going through an onboarding process. So so uh, the, the laborers all come from Mexico. The laborers in Mexico did all of their paperwork while still in their home country. Every piece of paperwork that they needed to do, all done uh, while they were still in country, and all that came to the farm, already ready, all filed, all put in the places that it needed to be, right? Before, they would come with about half their paperwork done. They would come to the farm and take them three days of onboarding to get people up and get all the people. That's three days where nobody's doing any work. It's three days where as a laborer in a foreign country, you're not doing any work and you're sitting around waiting for your time, which means that with 1200 of them, there are all kinds of shenanigans. Mm. Got to entertain yourself somehow, right? Yeah. Okay, they're, they come and they went to work on day one in the afternoon. So they're there in the morning, finish up a few little digital things they got to do and they're in the fields by the afternoon the first day. Just that onboarding pro, just that onboarding process saved that company a hundred thousand dollars. Wow! Like that, and now they got all this digitization. They're able to track these employees. They're able to communicate with them better. They keep all the government paperwork. Audits come. It's time for an audit. It's not a problem. It's all right there electronically. They have it all available and ready to go. Audits are now taking them instead of taking a week to ten days. They're now taking two days. Imagine the cost savings associated with that sort of stuff. So, anyway, I'm super excited about Croft and what they're doing. They're they're, they're really tackling a challenging problem. They're they're going gangbusters. Uh, uh, have uh, I think they have five paying customers right now, uh, uh, and they've got uh, about uh, 20 that are in pilot. Uh, that that's really good, right? They're 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 barely even software out run, out and running for less than 12 months, and they're already got that many. That's really fantastic. Yeah, that's an amazing accomplishment. I mean, and we're yeah. finding, I mean, that's uh, interesting you say that, Dr. Gray, is that we, go, we try to develop an idea and we can't get past the labor because that's the, that's the, uh, <laughs> that's the pinch point in the whole process. And exactly. navigating the H-2A labor, and for those that are listening and might not be familiar with it, it's, it's foreign workers, and it's not the intent to undermine uh, domestic workers with cheaper labor. That is not at all what happens. It's uh, it's jobs we just cannot fill. There's just there's more right. there's more demand for labor than we have uh, for domestic availability, and uh, the fact that you, that you all through um, uh, through this developed a, a program to help navigate what is almost an impossible landmine uh, landfill uh, minefield of 
of uh, problems to get through to try to get to a success story. And that is a wonderful success story. Um, yeah. That's, yeah. That's something that'll, that'll be a need for forever. So that's a, that's an amazing accomplishment. So, so, oh yeah, we're really proud of them. So, so our second company uh, is a company called Grip. This is a fascinating company. So, so Grip is all about uh, capital. It's all about machinery. It's all about uh, how do we digitize the repair and maintenance activities associated with machinery and equipment. That's what they're asking us, or that's what they're trying to do. Uh, and it turns out in the food and ag business industry, particularly, we're really not very good at this. Uh, the way we manage maintenance and repair of machinery is run to failure and then hope like hell we can get it back up and running <laughs> as fast as we can. That's basically our our, our management process. Never heard this, of right? it. So, Wait, say that again. <laughs> Never heard of that. <laughs> run to failure. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. right? Uh, run it to failure and then hope like hell and get it up and running as fast as we can. That's what we do. So, uh, and we got all kinds of different kinds of people working on equipment at different times. And, 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 and you know, we're talking about any kind of equipment, whether it's an electric motor or an auger or, 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 or a rolling stock piece of equipment, right? Anything, anything in there. How are we tracking and tracing? What have we been doing with this? What's the last time we had maintenance on it? What was the last repair we had on it? What, what, what kind of things are happening with warranties? Right? All, all this stuff. Okay, it turns out that all that information exists in our companies. Right, somewhere in some file cabinet, or some hmm. some uh, uh, maybe stuffed inside the inside cover of a manual that to, to, to use to work on. We don't know where the manual is, right? There's, that that that's the kind of way that this typically works. And so, I think you're short selling us just a little bit. I mean, some, <laughs> sometimes it's on a sometimes it's on a desktop that's not networked. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that somebody <laughs> threw, there too. yeah that they dug it out of the dumpster because it was so far beyond <laughs> user life. No. Hey, we're farther right. ahead right. than you're giving us credit for. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, y'all, y'all are way out there. Yeah, y'all are on the bleeding edge of premier companies. Oh, I know no that. That's always no what we're worried about is that we can't keep up with y'all. So, but 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 so so here's what they did. Sal, this is fantastic. I think so. So uh, th th it's so simple. It feels like it's ridiculous that they created uh, a QR code that they put on a set of uh, industrial strength uh, magnets. Or stickers, even if you can think, they're either magnets or stickers. It's both that they have, and it's a QR code, and it sticks on the piece of machinery. It won't come off. It doesn't. It's industrial strength, right? It's going to stay there. When somebody comes to work on that piece of machinery, they just scan that QR code with their phone, and the phone has the software on it, and they gotta they gotta enter a, a, a brief as few things as they can of brief things about that machine, what they're about to do with it, what's wrong with it, uh, what, you know, did they check the dipstick? There's there's a set of things they go through to put that information in. What what, what this turns out to be uh, is a LinkedIn profile for every piece of machinery. Wow. So the next time you go and scan that QR code, there's that piece of machinery has its own LinkedIn profile. When was the last time it was worked on? What was the what was the oil level in it? What was the what was the repair that had to be done? All, all that stuff and it's all right there. There's a QR and it's just simply a QR code. It's literally a LinkedIn profile. And that's what it looks like and because they recognized I can't have my senior team guy, my, my senior person at the company that's in charge of maintenance and equipment or whatever, they can't be doing this. The reality is the operators are the ones doing it, the people who are out there. Make it simple for them. Go on your phone, QR code, pull it up, answer these simple questions. Now we're, now we're keeping track of what's happening with this piece of equipment. 
Well, what, what they don't realize in the end then is on the back end of that, you've got all this data and information being put in on this on these pieces of equipment all across the system that now brings now we can bring together in a centralized system very easily. And we can start over time utilizing that data in a, a machine learning, uh, an artificial intelligence framework to now start saying, hey, we're predicting What's coming up next with respect to this piece of equipment, these pieces wow. of equipment, what's going to need to be worked on? Now, we can't do that today, right? It's going to take a little time to get there, but that's the path. That's where we're headed. And it all starts from this simple little idea that says, why don't we take a QR code, put it on every piece of equipment you want to track, and make a LinkedIn profile for each one of them. That won't look like LinkedIn, but it's the same concept, right? Exact same idea. So, so this is what GRIP's doing. Yeah, uh, so they they went to the, the to the National Farm Machinery Show, not to the Farm Machinery Show, not that one. They went to uh, what's the one in, uh, in Illinois? It's in Illinois Farm sometimes. Progress. Farm Progress. Good Lord, I couldn't think of it. Farm Progress. They went to Farm Progress. They, they went, uh, so, so the, the, the two, two founders of the company, they went to the Farm Progress show. They just showed up as paying members, but they had uh, uh, satchels full of these magnets, and they stuck them on anything it would stick on. Next thing you know, everybody's walking up, uh, walking up going, what's this grip thing? What's going on with grip? Hey, let me tell you about it. Scan that QR code. We're going to tell you what. Okay, they got overwhelmed with people going, oh, we need this. We got to have this. We, how, how can we get this? This is something that's so needed in this industry, and we're not doing – we don't do anything with it. And see, it'll work Sal, in a, uh, at a farm. It'll work at Premier Companies, whatever equipment you got. And it works in uh, one of their key customers that they've got right now is an Apple sorting facility uh, in Yakima, Washington. That's one of their one of their key clients right now. It works on all the equipment inside. So it's it doesn't it doesn't get, matter what kind of equipment it is, right? It's just about tracking and tracing this stuff in a way that you can actually do something with it and make decisions. Very practical uh, uh, and and really uh, just an exciting thing that they got going on here. That frankly, when we first started, I'll tell you the truth as we were going through the idea, I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't think I don't know. I don't see this as being something that's ever going to amount to much. Man, was I wrong. A good thing they don't listen to me very often. They listen to folks like Ryan and the people who are in the real industry first and, and, and to do that. So so that's what we're doing with GRIP. Uh, last one I'll talk to you about is what I'm pretty excited about is Oaken. Oaken is uh, a company working on land. So, so what they're doing is building a software for farmers to manage their landowner relationships. So it's like a customer relationship management software, except that the relationship you want to manage is your landowners. Well, it turns out today, uh, lots of farmers getting larger as they are, uh, have lots of landowners. I, I, I'm a, I'm on the board of directors for Tom Farms, Northern Indiana, right? Uh, 123 different landowners. Wow. Uh, that's, that, that's 123 different landowners are renting land from. Of those landowners, the, uh, most of them have three to four uh, connectors, uh, mostly South family. Mm-hmm. Right, it'd be hey, yeah. you got two sons and a daughter, but but in other cases it might be institutional, and so there are three or four different decision makers. So suddenly you don't have 123, right? You got a thousand different people you're trying to communicate with, and every landowner wants to know something different about what's happening on their piece on their piece of land. And you know, if I'm a farmer's got two or three landowners, not a big deal. Pick up the phone, and have a conversation with them. But when I suddenly got thousands, I got to communicate with. How am I supposed to do this? And you end up doing this thing where you make a newsletter once every six months or uh, every year that's very generic and says, here's what we're doing on our farm. That landowner doesn't care about that, but they care about what's happening on their farm, right? And some of them want to know ESG metrics, right? They want to know what the, all the variables are in the Truterra software. Yeah. Some of them want to know, did you mow my ditches? And some of them want to know, did you take grandma an apple pie? 
that right they all want to know something different but these things matter so much to the farmer because without the land the farmer's got nothing and if it gets taken away from you and rented to somebody else that's a problem on the farm they've got to manage this really well and so uh, what we're doing is Oaken is taking all of the disparate pieces of information you have on every farm. So it, it might be something that comes from so, – so it might be your, your climate fuel view. Uh, we can pull from your climate fuel view software. We can pull in financials. If you want to, you decide. Where, where are you going to pull the information from? We have uh, easy entry places for you to enter data. right? We can pull data off the machines if you want to. We can put in photos, uh, keep those photos there. You have all the information about your landowners in there, winter birthdays, uh, because you know you had to send birthday cards. You better make sure you do that. All these things get put in there, but, but uh, your lease is in there. Uh, eventually they don't have it yet, but they're moving that way. Payment, you're going to be able to make payment through the system. Everybody's going to have this portal where you can communicate well with your landowner. Well, uh, where we're going long-term with that, Sal, is that the farmer's going to find out that what we've built for them at Oaken is uh, a, a data asset because they're sharing that data right now and all that important information about what's happening on that farm with the landowner. But who else could they share that with? If they want to, because they own it, uh, the banker, yep. the crop insurance agent. Uh, maybe they have a contract with uh, with um, um, uh, a popcorn producer that needs to know what's happening on that, or or, or they end up with um, uh, providing to cornflakes to Kellogg corn for cornflakes to Kellogg's, and Kellogg's wants to know the ESG metrics traced to specifically to the farm where that came from. We're building that data set for them now, so that they're going to be able to do those sort of things, and that's what we're doing in Oaken. I, I, I was curious, I was worried about Oaken at first. I thought oh, I don't know how many farmers are really going to have this problem. Oh my gosh, they're beating down the bushes. It's unbelievable how many farmers are talking to them about how can I get on this system. It, it, it's really quite amazing how many people. What are they doing right now? They have spreadsheets, maybe. Maybe they have a spreadsheet, or, or, or if they're lucky, they have a Google sheet. So now it's theoretically in the cloud. It's unwieldy, unmanageable, and it doesn't do anything smart. It doesn't pop up a window in the morning and say, hey, by the way, you got three birthdays today and two leases that are coming due, and you need an ESG report to this institutional investor by next week. Your spreadsheets don't do that. No. They can't, but this software is designed specifically to be able to do those sorts of things, and that's that, that, that's what they're doing at Oak, and it's a super exciting thing that they're they're working on there. And it all that one all came about because they started because we started to really understand how important that relationship is between that farmer and that landowner, and it's a trusted relationship. It's the one place where everybody says, "Well, yeah, the farmer doesn't want to share data." Not true. With the landowner, they do because they understand that this that partnership right there, we got to be able to share the data between the two of us so that it's not always about just how big the check is that I wrote. But what are all the other things that I do on that farm besides that check? And that's what Oaken is designed to do. Yeah, that uh, a farmer will tell you that the the conversation that he has with his landowner, I mean, this is a this is a guy that he goes to church with and and to have that conversation once a year, that is the probably one of the most awkward times that they they need a starting point. That's not they're farmers. They farm. They uh, their operations, and and uh, to have something to guide them through that conversation, to to connect them, and to and to somewhere to, to house all those pieces of information that's important to the landowner, and to organize it. Gosh, that's a definite benefit to the growers. Yeah, yeah, I think it's all. I, I think it's awesome. Shashi, the CEO, uh, came came to us uh, 14 years working at uh, Mastercard, 
had created several startup companies within MasterCard uh, all around the world, really. Uh, he's got a great background, uh, but he's just a salt of the earth guy uh, and 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 has really embraced this. So he didn't know anything really about farming, but he's just embraced the whole farming community. He's out He's out here. He, he lives in Connecticut right now. I think he's moving to uh, Indiana. He, he keeps telling me he, he, his plan is to move. He's getting his wife convinced to, to, to this. Ryan, when you see Shashi again, Keep poking him, but he needs to move out here to the Midwest <laughs> where all his clientele are because he spends most of his time out here anyway because he just loves being out here and with the farmers, rolling his sleeves up and saying, how do we get to work on this? How do we make this happen? And uh, so so they're just they're just doing gangbusters. They, they really got funding to start uh, in July and their first version of the software came out first week of uh, first week of October. That's moving. Oh That's quick. That's so doing. Yeah. That's doing. That's right. That's what we do here. We're doing. So excited. Yeah, sorry, I talked too. I talked too long, man. No, I, you're it, fine. It's like uh, it, it, Ryan. You didn't ask me about my kids because I spent a long time talking about them too. But this is like my second set of kids. <laughs> I, I I know one of them, and uh, so you probably better mention them. You probably you probably ought to mention your kids and your wife quickly because uh, yeah, I I'd say yeah. Sydney, Sydney yeah. won't put up with it. So. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, uh, my, my wife, uh, my wife Stephanie, my three children. Uh, they're, they're the reason this country boy survives. That's that's for sure because they 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 get me uh, to the places I, I've needed to be in my lifetime. Uh, it's always been about them. Always will be about them. My my wife uh, now travels with me quite a bit in the work that I do, and I I, I love that having her with me. My three kids are all gone uh, from the house and and graduated uh, graduated from college. My two daughters are married. Uh, uh, one of them uh, works for the. Um, uh, a special needs theater in Minneapolis. So she 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 works with a troop of uh, special needs adults and children uh, to really to really put on some fantastic plays. My wife and I. One of the beauties of being at this stage in life. Uh, we we went to Minneapolis two weeks ago. We drove. Up. I had a I had a football game on a football official on Friday night. So so I had a football game Friday night. So I couldn't go. So we had to wait till Saturday morning. Saturday morning drove all the way up to Minneapolis. Saw the play that she put on. It was fantastic. I mean, really fantastic, unbelievable. Uh, a play she put on in Sunday. We drove all the way back from Minneapolis. But that's what you can do when 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 you're at this stage of life and you don't have the same kids. <laughs> wow. So she's doing great things. And then Sydney, Sydney, uh, Sydney's my Sydney, my middle daughter. You've met her, Ryan. She's a she's a firecracker. She's she's uh, cut right out of the mold. My wife tells me all the time that um, uh, she's she's uh, exactly you, Alan, if she happens to be a, a female. And, and I said, oh no, she's way meaner than me. She's more like you, mean in terms of meanness. And and, and so, but but uh, Ryan, you know, the Sydney uh, grew up uh, uh, grew up in the ag industry really, and worked in the ag industry with us for a long time. Uh, as she came out of Purdue, uh, worked for Land Lakes for a while, for Corteva for a while, and then for Commodidag, the, the the startup company for a while. But she's moved uh, Eli Lilly now, and. Uh, she's in supply chain at Eli Lilly, and uh, good for her. We're really happy for her and really excited. She's happy with the job she's in. I'm disappointed for our industry. I think we lost a real talent uh, there uh, by not figuring out where the right place was for, for Sydney to be. But uh, but she's in the right place for her, and she's happy with that. So and then my son, he graduated from Arizona State University. He he, he, he uh, didn't go to Purdue. Uh, my oldest went to Ball State. My, my middle went to Purdue. And then he went to Arizona State because uh, on the day he was trying to decide between Purdue and, and Arizona State, it was April the 10th. Uh, it was snowing that morning. 
and he went to my wife, uh, still in the bed, and handed her the piece of paper. Said, "I'm going to need you to sign this." When I made a decision, I'm going to Arizona State. She goes, "What makes you make that decision?" Because because it's freaking snowing in <laughs> April 10th. I'm done with oh, this. I'm he out. went to Arizona State, and he's never left. He's never left out there. He works for Vanguard. Uh, and lives out in Scottsdale, and I've got to tell you, it's the best place in the world for him to be. Because his mother and I go visit there every <laughs> January and February yeah. when we can. Yeah, there'd be no doubt. My kids would be sick of seeing me if they lived out there. <laughs> <laughs> that's right hey, that's well, right thank you so much it's been uh it's been great talking to you it's been great hearing about this you're doing great things no doubt we're uh we're glad to be a part of it and uh, certainly uh we've tried to extend as much assistance as we can i know uh, i talked to tracy with grip quite a bit uh get some updates from him and uh Shossi just reached out uh, this week actually so looking forward to seeing the group again and um uh, and certainly hope to have you back and much continued success with uh, with with this new thing coming out of indiana that's just that's just fun for me to see uh this coming right here from local and uh the work you guys are doing so appreciate your time being on here definitely uh look forward to seeing you again in person soon and uh thank you so much Hey, uh, Ryan, thanks for having me. And, and uh, Sal, thanks for tolerating my storytelling. That's, oh, uh, I loved it. that's the one thing about me is hard to do is I, I got to tell stories all the time. <laughs> it's great to see you both. Thanks for taking the time today and uh, having me on the high, high ground. I am really uh, feel privileged to have the opportunity. We'll get you some high ground swag in the mail. So That sounds great. I'm all looking right. forward to it. Appreciate it. That's see another ya. episode of the High Ground powered by Premier Companies. Please like and subscribe. Thank you. Oh.